almighty and everlasting God. You are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and the mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That's the collect appointed for today, Sunday, October the 2nd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate that very much. We are going to be spending some time talking about faith today which is just as well because I've been thinking about it a lot in my own life over the last few days. Um, It's just been, there's some challenges that we've been kind of dealing with, and and it's just, um, I I keep asking myself, you know, sort of the same question the disciples are going to ask in the the gospel lesson today, which is, Lord, increase our faith. And so I've been thinking about that a lot lately. We've, we, um, had kind of a quiet week. It's we're we're waiting now. We're praying for the people in Florida and for our friends in South Carolina over the uh, Hurricane Ian that hit there. We're praying also for the world because of what happened with the Nord Stream pipeline in um, in, in over in Europe, and pray for resolution and clarity about what happened there, um, so that the world can take appropriate action. In that instance, we, we just don't know what happened there. It, it's, it's a conundrum, and everybody's denying, so what do you do? But anyway, so we've had a good week this week. We had a really, really nice hike yesterday, um, or not yesterday, but a couple of days ago now. And, and so we went um, down to a place called Daniel Ridge down in Pisgah Forest, and it was only about a five-mile hike, but it was really nice because you go out, it makes a big loop. And so you go around one creek for eh, most of the way out there, and then there's, a you know, for – half a mile or so you're you're along the ridge away from the creek and then you start back down and and the creek runs along that side but again there were we, where we went the the um there were severe damage from um a tropical storm that came through here last year and did a lot of damage down in Pisgah Forest and over in Canton on on that side sort of wrapping around the mountain there and, and it's just it's awful to see the devastation there was a, a legitimate bridge that had been washed out in the creek right this minute that flooded and washed that out, that creek would be down probably 20 feet or more um, from from the bridge. And so the fact that it rose that high that fast is just unbelievable. We, we in fact, in, in 1985, when Suzanne and I got married, we got married on August the 30th of, of um, 1985, and, and we left the next day and f- flew down to Fort Myers and went to Sanibel Island, actually. It's one of our favorite places. We've been there many times. Um, but the, the crazy thing is, is that that time when we flew in there, it's the first time Suzanne had ever been there, and, and we were the last car allowed to go over the causeway from Fort Myers over to Sanibel because there was a hurricane happening then. It was called Hurricane Elena, and it was blowing through that area. It was not, it didn't make landfall there, but we were getting the outer bands and everything, and it ended up not going to Sanibel. It was one of two times that we were in Sanibel, actually, when there was supposed to be a hurricane hit and did not. And so, you know, the, I, I told my, the boys when they were little and we went out there, I, I, as we, before we got to the causeway, I said, you know, the last time we were here, the water was washing up onto the causeway. And we got out there and, it, you know, 100 feet below <laughs> the causeway. I mean, there's a huge difference. It, it was, I even began to doubt myself whether my memory was right or not. I knew that it was. Suzanne agreed with me completely. But, but it makes that big a difference that it, that it can 
make you believe there's no way in the world that happened. And now we saw part of the causeway was washed away. So pray for the people at Sanibel and all those other coastal areas that were heavily affected by uh, by this storm. And it's just it was just always a reminder of the power of nature. Um, do something that I haven't done lately, and that is I'm going to look at the psalm just very briefly, just the first few. Uh, well, I'll read the whole thing, actually. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they'll soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So don't fret yourself because of evildoers or wrong, or be envious of wrongdoers because they will soon fade away. No, trust in the Lord and do good because he's eternal. And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It's largely because he'll change the desires of your heart. They will be the things that are kingdom-based rather than otherwise. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he'll act. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And, and so what I want to talk about today has to do with that passage, largely, because it has to do with faith. And what, what does it look like to have faith? And, and it looks exactly like those first nine verses of Psalm 39. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he'll act. Be still and wait patiently before him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. So we tend, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. And, and so what we tend to think of as faith is something that, that's a little bit nebulous, to be honest with you. It's the stuff we believe without evidence is what we, we too often think of as faith. And that's not the truth at all. We don't believe in things that have no evidence. No, we believe the Gospels. We believe the, the Word of God is evidence. We believe that stuff is true. We believe the stories about Jesus' healing are true. We believe the feeding miracles are true. We believe about the walking on water is true. We believe that he raised Lazarus from the dead, and then we, ultimately we believe that he was raised from the dead. And the question then is, so those things are all—that's that, not uh, belief without evidence. You know, if you, if you, if you don't take the, the writer seriously— then, then you can say it's faith without evidence. But the reality is I, I, these things were all written within living memory of people who could have refuted them. So, no, it's not faith without it. It's not belief without evidence at all. That is not what faith is. Neither is it simply belief. No, because that word credo, the creed, means I will set my life on this. I will base my life on this. My worldview is such that God is great and God is good. Those are the two most important things we ever learn about God, and I learned it at an early age. I mean, well, I learned to say it at an early age, but I, but I learned to believe it much later. Because when I said it, when we would pray at our family table when we were kids, it would always be God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our foods. By his hand we must be fed. Thank you, God, for daily bread. Amen. And so we learned those two things, or should have learned those two things about God's greatness and goodness, our faith is in those two things. It's not what he does. You know, it, it, it can't be based in, if you do this for me, then I will believe. No, our faith has to be based in what he's already done and what he's doing in the world. And, and, and we can't make the mistake of, of conditioning our faith based on God's willingness to answer my, my prayer my way. 
right? So that can't be the way that we think about it, but, but it also can't be a passive thing. It has to be commit your way to him, trust in him, and he will act. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Do these things. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. All that stuff. Fret not yourself. These are active things that we're called to do. For way too long, early in my life of faith, I kind of perceived a faith as I believe God can do anything. I'm just waiting on him to do the thing that I want him to do. Right? Because I believe that God had the capacity to enrich me. I believe that he had the capacity to make my business incredibly profitable. And, but I didn't have the faith to believe that that wasn't his will. I didn't have the faith to believe that there was something better than that. Because I couldn't imagine something better than that. So uh, my faith took some hits. I was really proud of my faith. And then suddenly I, I really didn't know if I had any faith because God wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. And that can't be the basis of our faith. It can't be his, his desire and, and, and willingness to do what we want when we want it. So it's got to be something else. And, and then, so what we also see is that it can't be based on feelings. That's the thing is that faith and feelings are two different things. It's not that feelings are unimportant, but our faith can't depend on our feelings, how we feel about things. The, the, the way we perceive truth can't change simply because... I'm not feeling it. That, that can't be it. My faith and my feelings have to be separated. And to the extent that my faith or my feelings get involved and it cause me to doubt my faith, and I need to speak to those. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So feelings cause the fretting. You know, sometimes evidence causes fretting. I can worry about the situation in the world at any given time. You know, I, I can I can allow the circumstances to overcome what I know and, and to not trust God. But I have to fall back on those two things, this is that God is great and God is good. He's in control of all things. He has that kind of power. I believe that he's omnipotent. I do. I believe he's omniscient. You know what? I believe I'm not either of those two things. And because I'm not omniscient, I can't measure God's goodness by what John knows. It can't be. I can't measure it that way because I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. If I don't know everything, then I can't even know what's good except for what God does. And I know that that's good. We, we've, we've gone through this. But, but, but if he does something for me today, I can't honestly in so many ways know whether that's a good thing in my life or not. I, I, I can't take, I can't atomize events in my life and figure that out. Because the thing is, is that, that, the very beginning of that passage says they will soon wither, fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And, and, and so what what we've experienced is God did an incredible miracle and healing will. And, and then, you know, 18 months later, or well, not even that, 13 months later, we lost him. I'm thankful for the miracle that he did. It increased and strengthened my faith that he was able to do that and that he did it. I, I, and I knew that he could. I believed that he would, and then he did. But, but that, that can't be the basis of my faith, because ultimately, we're going to die, and, and so was Will. But God did a miraculous thing and saved him by healing him. So I give thanks for that, and I praise God for that. But by, ultimately, my faith couldn't rest on that being a permanent situation, because it was never going to be.
So that's the way we need to think through things of faith. We need to be thankful always for what we receive, and then we need to trust God and believe that because he's good and he's great, that that whatever happens that, that upsets us or hurts us, we have to believe that, that somehow that's, that's for good in the, in the grander scheme of things. And, and Habakkuk, what we see in the beginning of, of Habakkuk is the oracle that, the oracle that, <laughs> the oracle, that Habakkuk the prophet saw, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you won't hear? Or cry to you violence and you won't save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly look? Why do you idly look at wrong? Why don't you act? Why is what upsets me not upsetting you to the point that you're willing to take action now? Why does this continue? He says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. What he's saying is, is that, that things are terrible, and the wicked are in charge. It, it doesn't seem to end. Why do you make me look at this? Why don't you act? I'm upset by this. Why aren't you outraged and taking action to make this stop? He, he's in his feels. It's not a bad thing to be in his feelings, because he, what he is seeing is wrong. It's It's wrong. Period. End of sentence. He's not wrong to cry out, but he's but he's saying, "Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand how you could allow this." And, and this is the kind of question that people ask all the time: How could a good God allow these things? Well, that that you have a misconception of God. He, God does allow things. We can read through the history of the world and recognize that God allows things. Ultimately, he writes things. Sometimes that can take a very long time because his people aren't crying out and his people aren't pursuing righteousness. So Habakkuk is calling out and saying, how long are you going to make me look at this? Please act now. He's desperate. You can hear the desperation in his words. But then what does he do? He we move forward. We jump. Those are the first four verses of, of chapter one, by the way. And now we're going to he jumps forward. We do in their reading to chapter two. He says, hey, what's he going to do? He has to make a decision. He can doubt God. He can say, you're not a good God or you're not a great God, one or the other. Either you can't do anything or you won't do anything. And, and, and that you won't do anything makes you less than good. So he's got a decision to make. What am I going to do about this? Am I going to walk away from God? Am I going to let my faith go by the wayside? Or am I going to do something else? And, and no, he says, here's the thing. I'm going to take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer what I will answer concerning my complaint. He says, no, I, I'm not giving up on faith. I, in fact, I'm doubling down on it. I'm going to station myself at the watch post because I believe God has something to say here. I, I, he, he may blow my complaint completely out of the water. I don't care. I believe in God's goodness and his greatness, and I believe in his willingness to communicate to his prophet. And so I'm going to just stand and I'm going to wait and I'm going to watch, which is exactly what Psalm 37 says too, right? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil violence. So Habakkuk said, no, I believe these things about God. I'm going to be still and I'm going to watch and I'm going to keep my eyes open and my ears open and, and see what God has to say about this. And the Lord answered me 
And he said this, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Justice will be done, Habakkuk. It it will be done in its time. When the timing is right, this will happen. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Fret not yourself. Have it. It's under control. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. All right? Live by faith. And we can take that to mean one thing. Well, I'm saved by faith. Therefore, I will live because I had faith in Jesus. And so I will live into eternity. That, that's not what that means. <laughs> what it means, it, it does. I mean, it, it doesn't not mean that, but that's not contextually what it means. No, the righteous will live by faith. We will not be moved. We won't live by our feelings. We will live by our faith. We will live by what we know of God. And what do we know? So we know things like he is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He has power over all things. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. All the things that we know about God are the things we are to live by. And so in that way, we're to govern our feelings. We're to govern our feelings by what we know. It doesn't mean that we won't experience pain, we won't experience grief, we won't experience fear. It doesn't mean any of those things. But what, but what it means is that ultimately, the way we live our lives is by standing in what we know about God and what we believe about Him. And therefore, we overcome our feelings. We overcome our fears. We overcome our doubts. We overcome our grief. We overcome all these things. That, that we live by that, not those feelings, is important. The righteous will live by faith. And we've already seen sort of the, the obverse of that in the psalm where it says that, that evildoers will do this. And if you fret yourself about these things, it le- leads to all kinds of evil. Because now you're acting from your feelings. You're acting constantly. You're not waiting on the Lord to take action and do things. You're taking action because you don't trust him fully. And it happens a lot. It happens all the time. Way more often than than we would like to admit, we need to wait on the Lord. And when we do, the righteous live by faith. Righteousness and faith are then inextricably linked with one another because we're waiting on him. We're standing in faith. And so we don't make the same kinds of mistakes the rest of the world does, and we don't move in wrong directions, as often at least, because we're standing in faith. And that's determining what we do and how we feel. And so that's exactly what it means that the righteous will live by faith. And in the gospel lesson, which is Luke 17, 5 to 10, um, it, it begins with the apostles said to the Lord. Now, the apostles here, so we don't typically call them apostles until the book of Acts. They're the ones sent with a message. That's what an apostle is. We tend to normally see them called the disciples. So, But, but the, I think the reason Luke chose here to say the apostles said to the Lord is largely because he wanted to point out that it's the twelve. Because in other places, the disciples can mean everybody. 
everybody hanging around and and or everybody who kind of was even on the fringes but here it, the apostles the 12 is what he's saying said to the lord increase our faith I, i'd be very curious to know what they thought that meant <laughs> increase our faith i mean i've prayed that certainly i've prayed that to the lord because by the power of the holy spirit i want you to increase my faith just just fortify it and increase it give me more and, and Jesus' response here is interesting. He says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So he, he said, You're, the issue isn't that, that there's a, not enough quantity of faith in your life. It's the quality of that faith that matters. And it's the exercise of that faith that matters. If you had that faith, you could say, be uprooted and planted in the sea to the mulberry bush, and it would obey you. Well, does that mean I have power? No, it means I have faith. And I have faith in what? My words? Heavens no. God. God. Does that mean he does tricks? If I have enough faith, God will do tricks, like throwing the mulberry bush into the tree, right? No, that's not what it means at all. It means that, that you act on faith when you're prompted to act on faith. It's, it's like with Peter and John. They come to the beautiful gate in the temple in, in Acts, right? And they see a man who's there. He's been lame from birth. Peter, He's begging, and Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any gold or silver, but I do have this. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the man does. Well, did that mean that Peter could have gone to every person? Who was there begging? Because this guy wouldn't have been alone. He, he could have gone over to the pool of Siloam, right, where all his guys are waiting for the water to be disturbed, and so they could, or Bethesda, I mean, and they could they could wait, and, and, and when it got disturbed, they would get in and, and hopefully get healed because they believed angels stirred it up. Jesus only healed one guy there. Maybe they should have gone and healed them all. No, it's that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Um, they, he knew. Peter got a word from the Lord, I'm positive, that that particular guy was ready to be saved, ready to be healed. And so he did it. And so that's an exercise of faith. God tells you to do something, and you do it. I had a good friend, Ken Profrock, who I love dearly. He was a mentor of mine, Paulie's Island. For When I first started seminary there, he was going over every single day to, the, to this little place called the Prayer Cottage over there, and he would spend uh, two or three hours every single morning praying over the, the membership role. Most of those people he didn't even know. He'd pray over him, and, and so the Lord was telling him about specific people. Well, we had a couple of different people who were um, pastoral care, and and he offered to them, hey, I, I've got this list of names the Lord gives me. You know, you, you, These are people you want to be in contact with, and you need to be kind of aware of them in a, in a different way because God's making me aware of this. And so he was faithful to go and pray because he believed God told him to go do this. And then God called him to a, an extra level of that, to, to believe that he was showing him these people and that, that he should take that then to the, to the leadership so that they could be aware. Well, those two people turned him down. Well, he and I were close enough friends when I started doing that, that, that he said, hey, let's go to breakfast, and I need you to take a pen and a paper with you. And so he gave me this list. And, and because he was my friend and he had built up a reserve of trust, I, I said, okay, I'll do that, and, and I'll pay attention. And, and then I was amazed that he was exactly right. People, he didn't have any earthly idea who they were. God was giving him these names, and, and then literally every single time, without fail, these people would come up in my world in pastoral care with some particular need. So then 
He keeps doing this, and, and then God says, all right, I got a different ministry for you. He would eat breakfast in different places, and the Lord would say to him, see that person over there that you don't know? Well, here's something you know about them because I'm telling you, and I want you to go over there and encourage them and pray for them. And he did. He's like the least likely guy in the world to do this. But he was called to faith to pray, and then God began to show him things and say, now go tell somebody about this. And it took some courage, clearly, to do that. But he did it because he was faithful, and he believed God said it. And then he was faithful to do this last thing, and he was doing that until the day he died. And so he, he actually did exactly this, exercise his faith. He didn't ask for more faith. He didn't say, give me more faith. No, he, 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 God told him what to do, and he did it. And then in the process of exercising that and believing God, then God increased his faith. And he used it to increase my faith as well. And who knows who else? Because I told people these things. So that, that's Jesus' thing is to say that if you had a, a faith the size of a mustard seed, you could do great things. But you got to do them. You can't just—faith is not just so that you'll be, you know, I'll believe more. Faith isn't a Bible study. I mean, certainly knowledge increases things, but a lot of people, mostly what they do is study, 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 and they don't do anything with it. Well, that's not properly faith. When we look at um, Hebrews 11, for instance, when he goes, by faith, these people did these things. They believed God, and they put legs under their faith, and they went out and moved forward in that faith. They lived by faith. The righteous will live by faith. These people did. That's the point. And then Jesus goes on to say, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come in at once and recline at the table. You've done your job. Now come in and sit down. No, won't he rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded to say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. We didn't go above and beyond the call. We, we only did the things that, that we were told to do. So I, everything else is grace, right? Everything beyond that is grace. And so, no, we, we do what we're told to do. And doing that, we can't expect applause from the Lord for that. No. This is, we're supposed to be God's people, God's servants in all things. But, but we have to do those things. And the doing of those things is something that will actually increase our faith because we'll see more of God, we'll hear more of God. The more we act on what we know and what we believe, that, then the more we will know and the more faith we will have. It's an active thing. And that's exactly what Paul discovered, and I think he already knew it. Paul was always willing to take action on what he believed. That's the reason he was persecuting the church. And then once the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he reoriented his faith in a different direction because he had more knowledge. I am Jesus. Oh. He reoriented himself, did it on a dime and believed different things than he had ever believed before. He believed God was doing something to reach the Gentiles. Not through circumcision, not through the ways that he had always believed. No, through Jesus, through faith in him. And, and Paul assimilated new knowledge and moved out in that new knowledge. And here he's telling Timothy to do the same thing. He's encouraging Timothy here in 2 Timothy. He's an apostle of Christ, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. I didn't, I didn't take this apostleship on myself. No, it's by the will of God, and it's according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. 
to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, important, whom I serve, as did my ancestors. So he's lining himself up with his ancestors who who served God. He's not saying they were wrong to do what they were doing. It's not a new religion. It's not a different God. No, I, I, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I pray for you all the time, Timothy. As I remember your tears on Paul's leaving him, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I remember how much you loved me and how much it hurt for me to leave you, and I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So he's commending his mother and his grandmother for the faith that was in them that he says, now I'm sure that same faith dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Don't take it for granted. Don't sit on God's gift to you. No, actively fan that into flame, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul's saying, when I laid hands on you, I did so because God told me to, and, but, but I didn't do it just to lay hands on you. No, he says, that gift of God is in you through the laying on of my hands. I believe God used me as an instrument to convey his power and his Holy Spirit to you. And I'm telling you now, I was faithful to do what I was commanded to do in laying hands on you. And now I'm commanding you and reminding you to fan that into flame, the gift of God. It's a gift, but you have something to do. You have to fan into flame that gift of God that that resides in you because of the laying on of my hands. We're responsible for doing something with the gifts God gives us. It's not a passive receiving. No, it's actively fanning that into flame in order that we might be like the bush that Moses saw, set aflame, yet not being consumed by that flame. People need to see that flame in us. They need to see us as those burning and shining ones who are not being consumed by that same fire so that they could want what we have. But, but it requires them to actually perceive that we have faith. We have to act. We can't just passively sit in Bible studies for other people to see our faith. No, we have to take action with what we know and what we believe. So he says, that's in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. All goes back to that psalm. Don't sit in fear. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't allow fear to overtake you. And he had reason to be in fear. And what was that reason? Well, Paul's in prison when he writes this. Hey, from an earthly standpoint, Paul, it I got something to fear that if I step out in faith, I may pay a price for that. Like you're paying a price for that, and I don't want to pay that price. And Paul said, "Uh-uh, nope. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't give this. We didn't get a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-control. No, the righteous will live by faith, not by fear. 
not by fear. And the world right now has been controlled by fear for the last at least two and a half years. I don't know how much longer than that because people are afraid of everything, right? I mean, scared to death of COVID, won't even live life because of COVID. I'm afraid of this president. I'm afraid of that president. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. No, we can paralyze ourselves by fear or we can live and we can live victoriously in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a choice that has to be made. And by not choosing to go forward, then we're living in fear. We just rewatched Band of Brothers, which is in my mind one of the finest pieces of cinematography ever. And, but it, it's a true story, right? And so at one point, there's to go into a town and take out a few enemy snipers. But there's great danger in doing so because there's actively, they're, they're shooting at them. And, th- and there was a particular lieutenant who was in charge of it, and he was paralyzed by fear. And, and he was supposed to lead the charge, but his fear kept him from doing that. And because it did, it put all his men at risk. And finally, another guy steps up, and, and he says, I'll do that. And he goes charging into the town, takes care of the problem, and then comes back. And, and we can't live in fear as disciples of Jesus Christ because the truth is we have eternal life. Death is not the final answer. And that's exactly what Paul's going to get to. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of that. Be bold in your proclamation of Jesus because he was bold in his love for you in going to the cross. He says, and don't be ashamed of me either as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul actually believes, I think, that that suffering will increase your faith because he will be with you in that suffering. He says, be, be sharing the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us according to a holy calling. Not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace. Trust him. Believe in him. Believe that his purposes have been revealed and will be accomplished, and believe in grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. He says, before the ages began, before the creation of the world, that was ours. It's, it's eternal, not just in the sense that it always will be, but no, in the sense that it always has been. Before there was recorded history, this grace belonged to us, because God did all this with you in mind, Timothy. He knew you were going to have this grace. It's always been yours, even before you were aware of it. And then he says, and which has now been manifested through appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it, we now we know it for certain. It was always there, but it was manifested in the appearance of Jesus. Now we know it. So that, that it's the faith, remember, in the, in the definition in the book of Hebrews is very straightforward. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that faith was always there. Now that's been seen in Jesus. Now it, it, we moved from faith, which we could say is, is believing without evidence, to now uh-uh, it's a different level of faith because now there's evidence. It was always there, but it's never been as clearly manifested as it is in Jesus. He said, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed preacher and apostle and teacher, and which is why I suffer as I do. I have nothing to lose. I've already lost everything. That's what Paul says. He says, I've already lost my life. I gained it back as a gift, and now I have eternal life. I don't fear death. I don't fear what men can do to me. I fear betraying and disappointing the one who did all this for me. 
He says, that's the, he says, who, he abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. I'm suffering because of that confession, he says, and that's okay, because what I get far surpasses any pain that I suffer in this. He said, but I'm not ashamed. He, he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed. He says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Not what I've believed, but who I believed. What matters, but who matters more? Because that who is eternal, and that who is a person, and it's a person who loves us, loves us enough to send his son to die on a cross that we might have eternal life and live with him forever. He says, I'm not ashamed because I know who I believed. I believe God. I believe he is God. I believe he is a good God, and he's a great God, and I believe him. Therefore, I'm not ashamed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. Uh, He says, look, I I, I don't know times. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But I believe and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day, that final day, what's been entrusted to me. He's able to do that. Then he goes on to say, follow the pattern of the sound words you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells in within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's, he's very convinced that the gospel's under attack, that, that there are heretics bringing false gospels. And he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit in, entrusted to you. So what can we do to see our faith increased? He says, there's basically, there's two things. Fan into flame the gift of God and guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Zealously guard it by knowing the truth, believing the truth, and acting in the truth. And if we do those things, then we will see great things. We will see the world changed. The more we as Christians step out truly in faith and live by that faith, the more opportunity we'll see, we'll have to see the world change through our faith. But it requires all of us. It can't just be one or two people here and there. It, it, it needs every single person who hears this message I'm encouraging you that if we want to see the world changed, then we can't sit in fear all the time. No, we have to act. We have to live. We have to live from that faith. We have to live the kind of lives that are characterized by people who are unafraid, who are willing to take risks, who are unashamed, and who who work to fan into flame the gift of God and guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. We do that by the exercise of our faith and by, by increasing what we know. And the more we know and the more we exercise our faith, the more faith we will have. And the more power we, as the church, will have as well.